0: I'd like to introduce you to one of my friends this evening. This um, is Rainbow the Chameleon. We had uh, various gorillas and orangutans and things this morning, so uh, I thought I would bring my own version of that. And we've got some chameleons on the screen too. Um, Rainbow obviously isn't a real chameleon, but the uh, ones on the screen are. And you know, chameleons are amazing creatures for a number of reasons. I do know that a chameleon is practically the only animal that can move each of its eyes independently of each other so that they can look in two directions at the the same time. I do know that a chameleon's tongue is twice the length of its whole body. However, I guess what most of us know about chameleons is their famous ability to change colour, to blend in with their surroundings. They can quite literally change the colour of their skin from, uh, to um, various shades of green and brown, red or yellow, whatever colour it, uh, it needs to be. And that's the same kind of thing that we mean in our culture when we talk about being all things to all men. We have in mind someone who is constantly changing to blend in with their environment. In general, we have to say it has negative overtones, implying that someone lacks moral spine, or maybe they lack fictions. And so they just blend in to be accepted, maybe, or liked by the people around them in an inoffensive and ineffectual way. And when we come to those verses that we read together in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 earlier on, we find that the Apostle Paul was facing similar accusations from the church in Corinth. Now, obviously, some people in the church who were saying that he was a chameleon and that he just changed his colour to blend in with his surroundings. They were saying that he was inconsistent. One moment he could be seen uh, eating kosher food with the Jews. The next, he was at a feast socialising with the uh, Gentiles. One day he was running with the hares. The next, he was hunting with the homes, and so on. And so they accused him of inconsistency. And in these verses, Paul tries to begin to defend and justify his actions. If you re- remember the sermon uh, last week, uh, you will remember how Paul was defending himself against the accusation that he was uh, cheap because he didn't accept payment for his work. And you remember that we saw that from chapter 9 verse 1 down to chapter 9 verse 18. However, here we find him defending himself against the accusation that he was inconsistent and chameleon-like in his ministry. So, if you just look back to the start of chapter 9 at verse 3, he says very clearly that he is defending himself against those in the church who sit in judgment over him. He says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Paul is defending his ministry here. And the way that he uh, does this in relation to this uh, issue of chameleon likeness or inconsistency um, is by redefining very carefully what it actually means to be all things to all men. And he kind of fleshes out out that with reference to his own lifestyle, to his own work, to his own evangelism. And in doing so, he gives us an insight into how Paul operated. And therefore, as we will see, how we should operate as well. And the general thrust, the uh, principle that he wants us to take on board, is that gospel ministry is all about laying our own rights on one side for the spiritual benefit of others. Gospel ministry is all about laying our rights on one side for the spiritual benefit of others. So. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing when he refused payment for his work. He was doing that to help and to benefit the Corinthians. And it's also what he does in his evangelism too. He becomes all things to all men for the sake of reaching them with the good news about Jesus. So, what does all this have to say to us? How does it apply to our lives here in Charlotte Chapel tonight? I mean, clearly, we are not the Apostle Paul, so what does this have to say to us? Well, very helpfully, Paul tells us. If you uh, just want to look across at uh, chapter 10 and verse 32, you will see that he says this. And he basically uh, summarises the same kind of argument that we've just read in chapter 9, and then adds something else on. He writes, I Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. Is the important principle, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So, Paul is giving us here an example for us to copy. He says that we are to study the model of gospel ministry that he lays down in in these verses and then emulate it in our own lives and our own uh, church. Follow my example as I follow, the example of Christ. And as we look at it, we will, we will find that this uh, principle of all things to all men is not something that's negative and spineless, but is actually an incredibly a positive Christian concept that's all about laying our own rights and our own privileges on one side in order to see other people excitingly introduced to a, a relationship with Jesus. It's not something that's lacking in conviction and is chameleon-like, but it's something that that actually takes great strength of character and uh, purpose. Now I know that some of us here often think that uh, evangelism and uh, seeing our friends come to Jesus is something that is far beyond our reach. However, in these verses, I think in some very practical and helpful ways, the Apostle Paul teaches us how we can be more effective at doing it. He allows us to watch him as he does it, so that we can learn from, from him, so that he can, can help us become better witnesses and better evangelists ourselves. So then, what does it really mean to become all things to all men? How does Paul um, redefine it? We will see that um, it means three things to be uh, all things to all men in um, today's society and in our church. First of all, it means a clear aim. The first thing that is to be required if um, we are to be all things to all men is a clear aim. And here we need to note that being all things to all men is uh, not an end in itself, but is actually a means to an end whereby other people become Christians. And Paul says this very clearly in the passage So in verse 19, he says that he makes himself a slave to everyone so that he might win as many as possible. In verse 22, he says that uh, he became all things to all men. Why? So that he might save some. In verse 23, he says that he does all this for the sake of the gospel. His aim in getting alongside folk in the way he did was not to get them to like him, or that so he might have more friends, but so that the work of the gospel might progress and advance and go forwards. And then uh, later on he picks up a similar theme in verse 26, where he uses this image of an athlete straining towards the finishing line. Now, it was the Edinburgh Marathon earlier on today. No athlete enters the race and then just runs around in circles, do they? No boxer steps into the ring and and starts just flailing out uh, punches at random, do they? Instead, they are both characterised by aim and purpose. The athlete knows where he is going, even if it's 26 miles long. And the boxer makes sure he doesn't miss his punches, but carefully places them to bring down his opponent. So, uh, Paul is saying here that, no, no, he wasn't being inconsistent in the way that he behaved. Instead, everything he did was governed by direction and clarity. He wasn't running aimlessly, but he was purposefully becoming all things to all men to introduce them to uh, Jesus. His aim was evangelistic. Now, it's worth uh, us just taking a couple of moments out to remind ourselves of the gospel that Paul preached just to make sure that it's the same one that we are trying to communicate to our contemporaries today. So if you just want to turn over a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, and we'll have a look at verse 1 to 5 to see what Paul says about his gospel. He says, "No, brothers... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I have passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. So, first of all, Paul says that he was concerned about people's salvation. He wasn't just concerned with making them feel better or meeting their psychological or emotional needs although those things might happen en route. He was concerned with them being saved. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Saved, that is rescued from God's judgment and allowed into his heaven then secondly, uh, Paul was concerned with preaching Christ the content of his uh, message as we can see from those few verses in 1 Corinthians 15 was the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ his aim was to present Christ to folk, not some uh, technique for uh, positive thinking or um, how to have a prosperous or, or happy or successful life in worldly terms. Thirdly Paul preached Christ from the scriptures. It can a, a number of times, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. Paul's priority was to share the Bible with people. The message wasn't something that Paul had made up for himself, but was something that God had revealed through his word. He wasn't just getting alongside um, folk um, because he needed to get out more or because he needed to improve his uh, social life. Paul's aim was to share God's word with them. And so, the first question that we have to face, thinking about uh, what it means for us to be uh, all things to all men, is, are we clear about our aims? Are we clear that our aim as Christians is to share the gospel with people? The same message that the Apostle Paul preached, the message of salvation and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then this has a number of implications for us. It means that church can never just become a social club where Christians meet together to have a good time. Now it's right for us to get fellowship and encouragement but that's not our ultimate aim. Our aim is to take the gospel to others and the purpose of church so far as it fits into that is to strengthen us and equip us as we go. It also means that our A personal aim as Christians is to take the good news about Jesus to others. We don't just become all things to all men for the sake of it. Our aim is to share the gospel with people. You see, according to what Paul says, it's highly possible for someone to be in the race yet yet running aimlessly or in the fight for just throwing around punches that don't count because they don't really know where they're going. But Paul doesn't want that to be true of us. So, are we clear about our aims? Don't lead an aimless or insignificant Christian life. Know where you're going. Recognise what that uh, purpose is to win others. Becoming all things to all men is not something spineless, but it's something with, first of all, a definite purpose and a definite direction to it. So that's uh, number one, we need a clear aim. Number two, um, a flexible approach. Paul wasn't just clear about what his aim was, to win people for Christ, but uh, he was also clear about how he was going to do that. And what he says is that he adopted a flexible approach, and you can see that in um, verse 20 to 22. To the Jews, uh, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one, not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, flexibility, so that by all possible means I might save some. So then a few things for us to notice about Paul's evangelistic approach. First of all, we discover that Paul was doing evangelism in an incredibly broad cross-section of social activities. He could be found uh, eating kosher food with the Jews as well as at a a Gentile feast eating a king prawn kebab. He could be found with the weak as well as with the religious enthusiasts. Secondly, we discover that Paul altered his behaviour from one situation to the other. It's no wonder really that he was uh, accused of being inconsistent when he was eating kosher food one one minute and then he was eating something entirely different in a different context the next. However, to Paul, this isn't inconsistency. This is flexibility. And there's an important difference. And what makes the difference is that Paul very um, firmly and uh, convincingly knew what was absolutely non-negotiable and uh, essential and inflexible But he also knew what was up for grabs and and what wasn't essential to the Gospel. And so he was free to alter his uh, behaviour according to the cultural context in order to guarantee the largest possible hearing. Then thirdly, Paul knew his limits. He knew full well that he wasn't free, for instance, to alter the fundamental truths of the message about the Lord Jesus. That just wasn't up for grabs. knew that he wasn't free to compromise on Christian morality just for the sake of, of fitting in. So it would be inconceivable for Paul to become a car thief to win car thieves, for instance. That just wouldn't be on, so don't try it and don't try and justify your actions in car stealing in that kind of way. It's not on. And interestingly, he even goes out of his way here to say that, um, even though he wasn't under the Mosaic law, that he was still under Christ's law. There was still authority in his life and it was the authority of the Lord Jesus. His flexibility in evangelism only stretched as far as his allegiance to Jesus allowed. So then, uh, in summary, we can uh, try and draw these strands together and uh, see the... Uh, principle that he's giving us here and that is that Paul is prepared to go as far as he can to get alongside unbelievers while at the same time not compromising the gospel. In non-essentials he's prepared to be completely flexible and do whatever it takes to make sure that the gospel gets a hearing. His approach is one of uh, getting alongside folk, getting on the same wavelength as where people are at and fitting in with whatever culture he found himself in so far as he could. Now one of the uh, most well-known examples of this in um, church history is some of the uh, early Christian missions to uh, China led by a chap called Hudson Taylor. I think we've got a a little picture of him uh, coming up on the uh, screen there. When Hudson Taylor first went to China, he was appalled at the way that all the Western missionaries there, this was the mid 19th century, um, all dressed in their Victorian splendour and their Victorian clothes, and even looked down on some of the indigenous customs of the uh, 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 Chinese. And to Hudson Taylor, he was abhorred by that kind of thing. And so he very quickly realised that the only way to win the hearts and minds of the people that he was trying to take the gospel to was to dress like the Chinese and to build churches in their kind of uh, architectural styles. And so he grew a a pigtail, which is what the Chinese men wore at that time. And he started to dress in the uh, long robes of a a Chinese teacher rather than the uh, attire, the three-piece suit or whatever of the Western missionaries and he was amazed at the results that that had if you think think about it in many ways it was the ultimate fashion statement he was communicating very powerfully that the Chinese mattered so much to him that he was prepared to become one of them in taking their dress and eating their food he removed some of the obstacles that up until that point had been hindering them from listening to the gospel He became a living example of what Paul talks about here, laying his rights to one side for the spiritual benefit of others, becoming all things to all men, fitting into the culture, so that by all possible means he might save some. What's equally true and equally sad is that his actions didn't win him any friends amongst the other missionaries. They uh, laughed at him behind his back and said that he had gone native and gossiped about him in the uh, chattering tea hoses of Shanghai and Hong Kong. But Hudson Taylor stuck at it and probably had more success than anyone else in in founding an indigenous Chinese church. So then the broad application of this to us is not particularly difficult. Are we doing everything that we can to fit in with the culture of Edinburgh in order to win it for the gospel? Are we willing to lay our own rights, our own privileges, the things that we enjoy, are we willing to lay them on one side to remove some of the cultural barriers that hinder folk from hearing about Jesus in this day and age? That's the plain teaching of what Paul is saying here. Just look at the principle that he gives us in verse 12 he's just said that he uh, hasn't used his rights for financial support from them, and then says, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. You know how you're in churches occasionally and they have big texts right across the um, front, something like, you know, seek and ye shall find or or whatever. I think this would be a great verse for the front of a, a church. We put up with anything here in this church rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Wouldn't that be wonderful? In this church we are so flexible that we will get rid of anything that gets in the way of folk in our culture hearing about Jesus. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. That's the slogan of the mature Christian. Now, just imagine for a moment um, that you were to take the gospel to the tribesmen of Papua New Guinea. I wonder what you would do. First of all, you would have to live among them and um, learn their language. Then you would learn the customs so that you could relate to them in a meaningful way. You would live like they do in wooden huts or made of leaves, that kind of thing. You would uh, learn to eat grubs and insects if that was what they did. You would cook your meat underground and eat from large plant leaves with your your fingers and so on. You would try to understand their sports and their economy and their way of life. You would observe their holidays and their festivals while at the same time being very careful to refrain from worshipping their idols or sacrificing to their gods. In short, you would do absolutely everything that you could to fit in with the natives in order to reach them for Christ. Now, that kind of thing is really obvious when we think about tribesmen in the jungle but it's far less obvious in our own culture and yet the gap between Christian and non-Christian culture is just so great that some of us need to consciously need to relearn what it means to fit in with the natives of Morningside or Marchmont or Trinity or Christophon or wherever it might be. If we're going to reach them we need a flexible approach where we are adapting to their culture in order to win them for Christ. That might mean dropping a few church meetings for some of us. That might mean stepping into social situations that are just as uncomfortable for you as it would be to stand face-to-face with a a tribesman armed, armed, armed with a blowpipe or something. That might mean changes as a church, services at different times, music styles that we don't like, using the screen to communicate in a modern way, being very careful that we don't give the impression that we are in it for the... Money. At work it might mean the excruciating and embarrassment of being beaten at tennis or squash every week by one of your colleagues, all for the sake of the gospel, all for the sake of becoming all things to all men in order to win them. That is what God is calling us to here to become all things to all men that we might save some. He calls us to a flexible approach. Number three. a a disciplined life. Paul's aim is clear, to win people for Christ. His method is obvious, a flexible approach. But now he moves on, finally, to talk about the kind of attitude that is required. And that's a a disciplined life. The um, nexus of this teaching is in verse 24 where he commands the Corinthians to run in such a way as to get the prize. And the way that they do that, um, verse 25, is by going into strict training and by disciplining their bodies um, so that they have mastery over them. um, Verse 27. Paul says that if we are going to be all things to all men, then we need to be disciplined and not slap happy about our discipleship. There are uh, two reasons that he gives us why we need to be disciplined. First of all, putting the rights, um, sorry, uh, putting the um, needs of other people first is not something that comes naturally to us, but it's something that needs to be fostered and cultivated in our lives. Over time. I'm not sure about you, but I think the biggest enemy of evangelism is generally uh, not that we don't know what to say or that we are uh, living in fear or uh, being scared of being persecuted. If I'm honest, I think the uh, basic problem is that I'm apathetic and lazy, I am selfish and can be very rarely bothered getting out of my comfort zone for someone else's good. My fundamental problem there is a lack of a discipline. I need to be developing the kinds of habits where evangelism becomes a lifestyle. I need to pray regularly for people who aren't Christians to keep them on God's agenda and mine. I need to foster some meaningful friendships which involves a discipline to lift the the, the phone and arranging to see them. And I need to make those relationships a priority or they so easily get squeezed out by work or church don't they? You see, evangelism is not one of those things that just happens when we're kind of not doing anything else. It's something that we actually have to work at. It takes discipline, planning. It's not a kind of default option that we automatically revert to when we're not doing anything else. It's never going to happen unless we are disciplined and we train ourselves to put other people's needs first. Then secondly... We need to be disciplined in order to maintain our own spiritual life. You know, I think one of the dangers of being all things to all men is that we can sometimes end up going so far down that road that if we're not careful, we can fall into the wrong company and uh, end up compromising on our commitment to the Lord Jesus. I guess there's always the danger that other people will influence us far more than we're influencing them. And in fact, I think... Paul was very aware of this with the Corinthians later on in in his letter when we get that far which will be uh, God willing long after I I, I leave in chapter 15 verse 33 is the verse that bad company corrupts good character so obviously the, uh, the Corinthians had a problem with this too and so I think one of the reasons why Paul flags up discipline as much as he does here is so that he will stay spiritually sharp and not be disqualified for the prize on the last day. Look at verse 27. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You See, Paul isn't complacent about his Christian life, even with all the amazing things that he was uh, doing for God. He disciplines himself so that he can be confident of receiving his crown on that final day and uh, not slipping away. Think about a cook who spends all his time making the most amazing food. Maybe someone like Jamie Oliver, who makes his own TV programs and writes uh, recipe books to help the rest of us and has his own restaurant where he cooks delicious sauces and rich desserts and tender meat for a a string of rich and famous guests. If there's one place in town where absolutely everyone wants to eat, it's there. It's, It's his restaurant. Now imagine how tragic it would be if a cook like that was to be found found in his flat one day, a dead, having died of starvation. That would, would be terrible, wouldn't it? Someone who had prepared such amazing food, such an amazing spread for everyone else, but had died of malnutrition because they never actually took any time to feed themselves. And that's precisely what Paul is concerned about here. After preaching to everyone else, He doesn't want to be disqualified because he has failed to uh, discipline his own life. He's failed to take the time to eat. There's no point in being all things to all men or preaching to thousands of people like some big uh, evangelist or telling all your friends about Jesus if you're not right with God yourself. And so for those of of us here who are, are very good at being all things to all men, there is an important caution. Are they influencing you more than you are influencing them? Are they leading you away further from Christ, or are you leading them closer to Christ? Is your desire to see them become Christians growing the more time you spend with them, or is it slowly decreasing and waning and maybe being put on the back burner? See, unfortunately, there are plenty of cooks in the world who have prepared some cracking meals, but yet they're going hungry, and some are even starving. And then, if you're here and you aren't a Christian, then the application of all this is to make sure that you have joined the race. The, the difference between the uh, athlete um, who is in the games and the Christian is that the former races for a crown of, uh, of uh, a, a kind of wreath. Actually, it was um, made of celery in a- ancient Corinth. I'm not sure if I had just. Uh, log my gut soap training for months and months and I kind of finally won I'd be particularly chuffed with a load of celery um, but, uh, that's, but, but that was evidently what they were aiming for in uh, ancient Corinth but how much greater is what the Apostle Paul was, were, was going for the prize the crown of life a crown he says that will last forever and in order to get that crown you see you need to join the race maybe you've come to church Uh, today and um, where you are in the kind of stadium or the race course is in the grandstand maybe you've been in the grandstand for a little while and you're used to watching the race you're used to watching everything happen and maybe you're thinking about getting involved in the race maybe moving a few seats further forward in the grandstand See, but at some point you have to decide to get out of your seat and move forward, even if it's just by one row or even if it ultimately, God willing, is on, onto the track and onto the starting blocks. And you can do that by coming to trust in the Lord Jesus for yourself, believing that he died for you to take all the mess and muck in your life and the judgment that's hanging over you from God. So then, are you in the race? Or are you still in the grandstand? So then, just let's uh, summarize there in a bit of a conclusion. Um, how are you doing at becoming all things to all men? How, you, how is the race going? Have you adjoined it? Are you uh, racing for the prize? Do you have a clear aim? Do you know where your Christian life going or are you still running around in kind of circles thinking, yeah, I'm a Christian but I'm not really sure what's going on here and now, what a direction I'm meant to be facing, that kind of thing. Do you have a clear aim? Have you got a flexible approach or are your views on evangelism dated and not that relevant and you're not really engaging in any meaningful way with the world around? Are you leading a disciplined life? Are you uh, aiming towards that prize? Or have you taken your eye off it and are doing something else but beginning to let things slip a bit? A clear aim, a flexible approach and a disciplined life. Over a hundred years ago there was a huge storm on the south coast of England and an enormous quantity of starfish were washed up on the beach and left high and dry uh, on the shoreline. As the the next day wore on, and the sun got higher and higher, they began to dry out and frazzle up under the harsh heat and light of the sun's rays. Great piles of them lay there, strewn along the beach above the high tide mark, slowly dying because they were unable to return to the water. About uh, halfway through the afternoon, about three o'clock, a gentleman was walking along the beach, when he noticed a street urchin running up and down to the water's edge. As he got closer, he realised that the uh, young boy had a a bucket and was returning starfish to the sea. And so he watched him as he made several trips from the starfish to the sea, up and down, up and down, up and down the beach in the heat of the day. And until finally he returned to fill up yet another bucket with the, the parched starfish and so a a gentleman stopped him what are you doing? he asked there are thousands and thousands of starfish here, probably millions and only one of you why does it matter? what difference can you ever hope to make? and the boy paused from his task and he looked puzzled for a moment then he looked down in his bucket and said well it matters to this one it matters to this one And he kept on running up and down the beach, returning starfish to the sea. It matters to this one. You see, becoming all things to all men is not something that is weak or negative or chameleon-like or lacking in spine. Instead, it is the method by which God has chosen to reach people with his good news. Let us keep faithful at doing it. Let us become all things to all men so by all possible means we might save some. Let's keep returning starfish to the sea and let's pray together. If we can just have a few moments quiet and uh, maybe think through some of what God has uh, said to us from his word. Maybe something about a clear aim maybe something about a flexible approach, maybe something about a a disciplined life. So just take a few moments quiet uh, as we reflect on God's word and respond to it um, in the quietness of our own hearts.